Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We are joined this morning, um, well, my husband and business partner, Kirk, and I are joined this morning by David Tortolot, who's a reverse mortgage, a certified reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages. And I just learned today that there's only 160 of you certified reverse mortgage professionals, right, in the nation? In the country, yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's well. Congratulations, good for you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we we've, we've been talking about. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Before we get into it, I told Mark Styles I would um, I would uh, give him a little announcement this morning. Um, so, quick announcement. So we're recording this. What day is it, you guys? Saturday, the May eighth. May eighth. Yes. yes. Once in a while, we do re- we do rebroadcast our shows, um, but we're recording this live Saturday, May eighth. Um, and if you are listening on the South Shore, I thought I would give a little stug, uh, plug because Styles Law is having a free um, shred your documents day. They're calling it the Shred Show. Um, I told him I would announce that. So that's um, today between one and four at Styles Law in Marshfield, which is, I think it's 892 Plain Street. Um, I'm, I'm just looking for the details. So I guess what, if you have documents at home that you're looking to have shredded, you can just bring them up to any amount, bring donations for the Marshfield Food Pantry, get your documents shredded for free, but you're bringing a donation to the food pantry and then they'll drop everything to the food pantry. Um, so that's today, one to four at Styles Law, which I'm pretty sure yep, is- Tim, Tim, like, Tim likes that address. He said that's a good address. Plain Street, yep. Marshfield, which is Route 139. So that's provided by Styles Law. We had Mark on the show a few weeks ago, maybe like a month ago. Yeah, a few um, weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and then I was on his show a few months ago. Um, he's he's a WATD veteran, so everybody, a lot of people will know that name. So you're welcome, Mark, if you're listening. One to four, Styles Law, bring your shredded documents and a donation to the food pantry, please. Um, and, I just, right. and, I, and I just wanted to say also, I just wanted to throw out the phone number because, you know, maybe we can get a phone call. I figured this is a good topic. Somebody might have a question yeah. on. Uh, yeah. So the, you know, the number in the studio here is 781-837-4900 uh, if you want to call in with a question for, for David. Perfect. Um, all right. So we're talking about reverse mortgages again, uh, maybe like unique strategies thinking outside the box. And maybe these strategies aren't all that unique anymore based on what you were saving, saying, David, and that half yeah. of your clients now are using them more as a planning tool than yeah. as a necessity, um, which is very interesting. Um, 
Yeah. So let me just, Kirk and I can take a minute to just um, talk a little bit about how we send retirees income from the portfolio, what our process is and how reverse mortgages potentially fit, which is what you're talking about in terms of the planning strategies. Um, so when we have clients that are in retirement and are taking money, like a fixed, sort of fixed regular amount, most of them take it monthly, you know, to replace a paycheck. Some of them just take it annually and live off of cash, but most people take it monthly. Um, so when we manage uh, accounts where someone is drawing income from the account, we generally carry a higher than normal cash position. We've done this for years. We call it our buckets, cash bucket strategy. It's just like, you know, the idea is we want to have cash readily available so that we don't have to liquidate every month. There used to be transaction charge reasons to not want to do that, but now we're in this world where there's really not much in the way of transaction charges in anyone's account anymore. They're very, very small. So that's really not a big part of the reason anymore. Um, but the but the thinking is if we have volatile markets on the downside, right? So if we go into a downturn at some point or whenever the next downturn comes, we want to be prepared and still able to send our clients that fixed monthly income without worrying about liquidating something from their portfolio when their portfolio is down in value, right? In our in the world of investing, you want to sell high and buy low. You don't want to sell when things go lower, right? right. So, so that's the idea behind it. And the amount of cash we carry, you know, it's sort of tailored to the client, but it's really anywhere from generally six months to some some clients want three years worth of what they're drawing in a very liquid place. Um, and, it, you know, it really depends on the portfolio and client preference. So it's interesting now because, you know, rewind even a year, really, that we were not that you know, a year ago, there wasn't much interest or yield on money markets as there was, what, 10 years ago, really, it's been a long time since we had any substantial yield on money markets um, and cash balances. But even like a year ago, we were able to put this excess cash for our clients into like a short-term treasury position with very little downside risk, very little fluctuation in the value. But there was a yield of maybe a percent and a half, percent and three quarters, something like that. So when we had cash on the sidelines, it wasn't at a zero percent interest rate. Um, but right now we're in this interest rate environment where there's like, no yield anywhere still on things that are fixed and safe and guaranteed. And so it, you know, it does beg the question, what other options are there? Like pe people are, you know, when, when, when we do this, when we carry cash for clients, it's, it's a, like a prudent and sort of conservative way to manage the portfolio. It protects them on the downside, but you do give up a little bit on the upside because you have uninvested cash. Now, for most people, we're not talking about carrying more than, I don't know, five, six, seven percent of the value of the portfolio. Generally, like, right, hopefully our rates of withdrawal for our clients are, you know, within um, prudent ranges, right? We already talked about the 4% rule. So, you know, generally cash balances aren't excessive unless, you know, it's much later in life and there's a, or there's a high draw for another reason. But right now with interest rates being so low, that cash on the sidelines really isn't earning anything. Um, and so some, there's, again, there's been research and you mentioned Dr. Wade Fow and he's pretty well known in our, our industry for his research in this regard. Um, but there are some, yeah, there's research indicating that, or, or people of the mind that you could, you know, instead of carrying cash in the portfolio, right, have all your monies invested and have another tool or another chunk of money accessible if we, when we have the next downturn in the markets. And so one solution or some people, you know, are of the mind that a reverse mortgage is a very appropriate tool for that. So if someone had, you know, let's say they had a, you know, a $300,000 reverse line of credit, um, you know, on their home. And they, let's say they, at the beginning, just didn't use it. They just took the line of credit or an ability to use the line of credit and just sort of kept it on the sidelines, drew from their portfolio as they normally would when times are good, right? More often than not, we do have 
um, markets that trend upward and, and account balances that would trend upward, but use that reverse mortgage at a, at a point in time when we have it, when we see a downturn in the markets, you know, I, I guess up to the, the client and the financial professional, if it's like, do you use it immediately? Like in any given month when, when it's down in value, or do you wait a period of time to see if like we're really in a downtrend, but that's sort of the line of thinking. And I think that it's, um, I think that it makes a lot of sense financially. I just, I think there are still, there are still definitely are people that have these, I don't know, the, the stigmas or like the reverse mortgages have a little bit of a negative, I don't know, connotation. Is that the right phrase? There, there's people that are like a little bit afraid, I think, to use them as a planning tool. Yeah. You know why? Here's why. It, it, it's very simple because people, when people have assets with you guys, this, they're not their house assets. Yeah. So when you're living inside of an asset, it's a little weird to wrap your head around how to use the house I'm living in as part of my retirement. Yeah. However, everybody includes their house and their net worth. They never yeah. exclude it from their net worth. Right. So uh, if again, if you want to stay in your house long term and you guys use the cap cash methodology as backup, well, you could have a backup to the backup. Yeah. So the reverse equity line of credit could also be there. And again, if they never use the line of credit, great. Great for yeah. them. I'd congratulate them in 15 years if they never had to use it. But it might be five, six, five, six hundred thousand dollars of money still available to use. But if they never use it, they just pay back the closing costs. Yeah. And the kids get the rest of the equity. So it's just, again, if you want to stay in your house long term, it's a very simple way to earmark and unlock the equity in case you need to access it. Yeah. And and you can it's just there in case. It's like insurance. Mm-hmm. but it's your house. Okay. And so people have this tough thing about, they have a disconnect where this bucket of money that, I, that I've been depositing money into in the form of a payment my whole life, and I paid a down payment into it my, when I bought the house, they, they think that it's this sacred thing. Mm-hmm. It's not really an asset that they ever have to tap into. Their only assets to tap into is Roths and, you know, money markets and CDs and stocks and bonds and all that stuff. But this is what Dr. Wade found, the Sachs brothers and Levinsky's and people like that have said, you know, you know, and I think Levinsky was one of those guys that had that five-year cash rule way back, Harold Levinsky. You should have five years mm-hmm. of cash. Mm-hmm. And so he was one of those guys that said, well, I've changed that now because instead of having five years, we have a reverse equity line of credit as a buffer asset. And I don't know what he switched it to, maybe a year or two. But yeah. it's all of those people that are revered in your industry that have looked at this and they weren't paid to come back with just good comments about it. We, if we were hoping that they, they were gonna get paid whether they came back with bad comments about it or good comments. Mm-hmm. All of them came back with good comments at our conferences. And so that information's on the internet now, which has caused, caused savvy people that, are, that have money to look at these strategies and then they'll reach out to someone locally and say, hey, are you aware of these strategies? I have people call me, financial planners, and say, hey, I went to a conference and I saw Dr. Faust speak. He was talking about this buffer asset. Do you do that? I said, well, I don't do that, but that's what a reverse mortgage financial tool can offer. And yes, we can structure like that, so. I think, I think, yeah, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I think, I think it's a lot of people that have that, you know, negative connotation or whatever. It's just because maybe there's a lack of understanding or it's just it just it just kind of rubs them the wrong way for whatever reason. And and that's okay. Uh yeah. but I think but I think uh, you know, also a a big part of it is just the the lack of understanding. And I and I think if you know, I think as you mentioned earlier David, I mean, I think if somebody you know, sits down with you or any, you know, professional that, you know, that can explain it, you know, sort of the ins and the outs, and they really spend, you know, 30 minutes or whatever it is, you know, to understand it. I think that would solve a good, you know, not all, but a good portion of people's, you know, maybe negative thoughts toward it. Um, so I, no, I agree. I think there's, I you know, so there, there's some stuff, I mean, some people have biases that you just can't get around and, you know, that's okay. But, uh, yeah. but some of it's just, you know, sort of that lack of understanding, which is, you know, you could apply to many things in life. So two of the main reasons why people have these bad perceptions and, you know, and you guys have heard this, this statement, I did a reverse mortgage and I lost my house. So where did that come from? Those legacy loans we talked about earlier that were in the sixties and seventies, those were not 
non-recourse loans, meaning they weren't regulated. Oh, okay. Um, and so all reverse mortgages now have to be non-recourse. And all that means is that no one in the family, mm -hmm. the lender, is responsible for the reverse mortgage debt, period. Mm -hmm. If the debt gets satisfied when the house sells, the rest of the equity goes to the estate. If the parents lived a long time and the debt can't satisfy, um, or the debt's higher than the sale price when it sells, that debt gets satisfied by FHA to the lender with a, a conversation or a claim behind the scenes after the house sells. So that's, people have to know that since 1989, all reverse mortgages, whether they're proprietary and bank reverse mortgages or the federally insured one, which is the one we're talking about today, mm -hmm. they're non-recourse loans. Our mortgages that we have, you guys have and I have, they're recourse loans. We make a payment, we stay in our house, we skip payments, we could be at risk of foreclosure. Yeah. These are non-recourse loans. The other thing is when people pass away, unfortunately, there's confusion post-death with the estate. What do I do? That my parents had this reverse mortgage on it. The bank's sending letters. Hey, the loans due. No one's responding to the bank. And yes, you can lose your house if you're not going to communicate with the bank. So that's why it's important to work with someone who's local and certified so that you have a liaison, a point of contact for the family and the borrowers as long as they're alive, free of charge. So they can call me within a few weeks of the last person passing away and I can give them guidance and there's no problem then. We call the bank together, they state their intent, they know what they gotta do. And then that's where all the confusion was. The, the estate was not communicating with the bank and a year would go by and then default notices start showing up. So that's really the two main reasons why people have these connotations like you mm -hmm. referred to earlier about the loan. Everything else, it's just a mortgage. We all have mortgages and we take them out exactly the same way. There's a bank appraisal, there's paperwork to sign, there's a closing and some documents get recorded and your name stays on title. It's just, this one's for older people. Yeah. Can we go through a real life example? Actually, I was just thinking yeah. about this strategy where instead of holding cash in the portfolio, you're fully invested in the portfolio. You know, maybe you have a month or two buffer or whatever. Um, and then you use the reverse, you take out a reverse mortgage as your your buffer asset, right? Or your, yeah. your, your, your pot of money that you would tap into if we had a downturn in the markets and you didn't want to sell off positions in your portfolio. So I actually don't know where this is going to go because I didn't do this example before the show, but it, so, so the downside now to the carrying cash in my portfolio strategy is lack of yield on that position in the portfolio and giving up return on the upside. Yep. The downside to the reverse mortgage strategy is the cost to take out a reverse mortgage. So the upfront cost. So there's some point, there's got to be like, I kind of want to kind of figure out what the break even is and when it would make sense one way or the other. It's going to be related to the size of the, the size of the draw from the portfolio, which would determine the size of the cash position. Right. Well, the, other, you know, well, the other thing, the other thing that you could consider too is if the money was a, re a reverse mortgage was taken out, and the money that's in a cash position was in a return position, you could figure out a break even then. So, if closing yeah. costs of fifteen grand, and they got a hundred grand in cash, and you're now investing it, making five, you could figure out the break even on that. That's just one way of you. Yeah. Okay. So is it, that, you is know, it, okay. And then the so, other way is the closing costs come out of the height of the equity, not out of the borrower's retirement portfolio, their checking right. account. Right. And right. if they're staying in the house long term, it's sort of easier to wrap your head around, well, it's costing me 15. Do I really need to run a calculation to see what the um, break even is here? Or is it just better to know I have 300K in a position in my, home, my, in my house's equity and my portfolio goes down do I say, I don't want to do that because the upfront cost was 15 or the 15 of equity that I forfeited to get access to 300 way out, outweighs uh, the cons of not doing it. So it's, it's a mindset, really. Um, again, if someone wants to stay there long term, are they ever really going to feel the, the effects of uh, the uh, $15,000 finance closing costs? If you're staying there long term, never because the house is gonna out appreciate 15 grand. One year could go by and the house could out appreciate that. So there's many ways to figure out a break even 
what's mm-hmm. going to be the return on the hundred thousand now that it's not in cash position it's invested um, if I'm staying in the house long term and I live as long as my mother did 92 all I need to know that between 62 and 92 will my house appreciate by the upfront closing costs we all know the answer to that is yes definitely um, and so from there that's really it it's the cost that set up a $300,000 line of credit and the 100,000 now is invested. And now if something happens in the future, you've got this growing, so you can figure out a break even too as a third option. If the line of credit grows by the closing cost, it's another way of looking at it. But you know, if it grows to 315 and it costs you, th- it costs you 15, it grows to 315, it's it's just another way of looking at it. I'm not saying that's a, a clear cut way to do it. But D- David, on the um, on those closing costs, you you know you threw out a number of like fifteen thousand. Like if you, but if you finance that, that fifteen thousand is getting bigger over time, right? Yeah, two and a half percent annually. So it's it's you know. I just mean I think that has to be factored into this you know this li- this little um, because the house is probably out appreciating that accrued interest on those closing costs. Okay. So on paper, if you're figuring out net worth every year in your Monte Carlo simulations, and you figure out, okay, Zillow said it was 600 when you took the reverse out. This year it's 612. Um, you're still three in the hole on paper. That's just the way to look but, at. It. But the but the first of all, David, you're talking to two people that have engineering backgrounds. Yeah. And so I, we're going to do a little analysis here. That's I'm, fine. We're going to do some math here. Yeah. Um, but so but you're. I understand what you're saying about the the line of equity. And by the way, I don't think this is a bad strategy. I think yeah. the reverse mortgage as the buffer asset is a good strategy. I think yeah. it's hard for clients to wrap their head around it. I think there's, I, I haven't ha- having said that, I haven't had a lot of conversations with people about this. Yeah. Um. But you know, so, certainly something that I will that I will start doing, especially because the interest rate environment doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so it was. But I I, I do want to. I think it would be helpful to have a little bit of perspective about at what level of assets does it and or home value, I guess, does this make the most sense, right? There, there's there got to be some combination of those, the value of those assets coupled with, I guess, the draw from the portfolio where it makes sense and maybe some situations where it doesn't, right? Yeah. And you, you're, I, I understand what you're saying about, you know, you take out the reverse equity line of credit and then it's going to grow, you know, it's going to be larger the next year, is that because how do I how do I phrase this question? If they didn't, so let's just say I think you mentioned like a three hundred thousand dollar reverse line of credit, and then the next year the reverse line of credit is three twelve. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is that so? Is that because they're a year older, and if they didn't take it out at three hundred, the next year would they be able to take out the three twelve because they're a year older, or is that because of the nature of taking it out earlier is better? You know what I mean? Uh, taking it out earlier is better because you have a uh, growth rate that's multiplying times a large amount of money. Okay. The age, the age waiting a year, you wouldn't get $12,000 more unless okay. the values went up in that right. year because that that's another, there's three factors. But it's just because you've got 300 grand that's attached to right now roughly a 2.5% growth rate. Okay. Annually, and it just grows and compounds that year that amount. Okay. But, but why is it doing that? There's two reasons why. When they figured out, when they designed this reverse mortgage, it is because it's because they got a year older that they're allowing this growth feature to happen. Okay. And they're also factoring in a hundred year, um, what's the average appreciation rate on primary homes over the past hundred okay. years? And HUD has a three to 5% range. All right. So because they know over time that happens and they're older, there's a growth rate that allows more credit to be borrowed out of the line of credit every year. Okay. Uh, so that's really the mindset. All right. Um, we're, we, I, wanna, I really want to get into the weeds of this. We're, we're going to have to take a break. I want to do a little um, bit of calculation on it. I think it would yeah. help with perspective. Um, but we just have to take a quick break. Um, okay. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We're talking with David Tortolot, Certified Reverse Mortgage Professional with Homestead Mortgages. Um, we'll give out his contact information right after the break because we're running out of time. I can hear that music. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Again, you're listening to McNamara on Money. We'll be right back. 
Market turbulence can cause panic, and you might be wondering if your investments are allocated properly. I'm Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Let me help you understand your investment strategy and ensure that it is suitable for you. Then you can turn off the financial news and move on with your life. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Happy weekend, everybody. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, and also David Tortelot, who's a certified reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages. Do you want to uh, take a moment to give out your contact info, David? Yeah, old-fashioned way would be 617-797-3277, or Homestead Reverse Mortgages, plural.com, homesteadreversemortgages.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Oh, Um, fancy. Yeah, very fancy, huh? Um, okay, we for having me today. Appreciate. Oh it. yeah, no, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you being so prepared and sending some thoughts before the show. I said, David, thank you. This saves me a lot of work on a Friday night, which actually usually ends up being Saturday morning. No problem. Um, but no, I appreciate it. But your your dress is making well making me look bad. You're making me also. <laughs> yeah, you're over overly <laughs> dressed. Yeah, my hair's yeah. wet. I'm wearing a t-shirt. That's okay. Um, That's okay. It's all right. So it's all good. Yeah, I, I just wanted to do maybe not spend a ton of time, but just do like a little bit of calculation regarding um again, this strategy where instead of carrying cash in the portfolio to support a draw and protect on the downside and protect the portfolio if there's a downturn in the market versus carrying a reverse mortgage. So let me just think of um I, I don't know, a typical uh, pre-retiree on the South Shore uh, that's in good shape for retirement. So I'm going to use, can we use um, these numbers where, let's call it someone who's, I don't know, 62, 65, something like that, yep. has, I'm going to call it $1.5 million in retirement assets, okay, and okay? a $750,000 home with okay. no mortgage, okay. okay? So if I think about this this person, let's say they just retired or whatever, and they're taking about 4% per year from the portfolio. Let's come back and use that. We'll use that old 4% rule. Yep. Um, so let's assume they're taking 5,000 bucks a month, which is $60,000 a year from the portfolio. That's 4% of 1.5 million. Okay. So for us, I didn't do the exact calculations. We would carry, I don't know, something like, Thirty or forty thousand dollars of cash, at maybe not at any time, but ideally that's the amount of cash we would carry. We like eyeball markets, and when they're good, we refill cash, and when they're not good, we let the cash drain. Um, but that's probably like a target for I don't know. That's protection, probably something like eighteen to twenty-four months, because of course the portfolio has dividends and interest that are that are adding to that cash over the course of the year. So if if my target cash position in that example is forty thousand dollars, again the downside to this strategy, especially right now, is that there's no yield on the cash. So it's like I don't know. It's it's dead in the water, right? There's no yield. It's not working for the client. It's not earning. So let's use that 5% in terms of what we're giving up in terms of yield because that those dollars are uninvested. So 5%, so if that 40,000 was invested at 5% per year on average, that's $2,000 a year that we're giving up in terms of earnings potential. Of course, it's not that perfect because we have vari- variations in earnings in a portfolio. Um, Okay, so, th- so that's the downside. So on the reverse mortgage side, so let's pretend, so if we didn't hold cash in the portfolio or if we held a very small amount um, and we had the reverse mortgage as this buffer asset, in other words, we can open, that, open the tap at any time and start drawing from there if markets turn down, the cost for that, I am gonna call it a cost. I understand that I don't even know if you can pay it out of pocket, but most people wouldn't pay it out of pocket, right? Like the closing cost. Yeah, you can though. You're right. You can pay it out of pocket. Okay, you can. So that's actually, that would, that would be interesting too, because so is it about 15,000? Is that kind of like a flat upfront cost? No, it's the value actually determines the closing cost. The higher your home value, the higher your cost, because it's a fixed percentage of the value. So high, so in this case, 750, you're probably looking closer to 20 grand, just as a round number. 
Okay. Uh, for closing costs to set that up. If someone had a three hundred thousand dollar house, you're probably looking at thirteen grand. So a hundred thousand dollar house, which don't exist, be about five right. or six grand. So the value determines the cost of each borrow, and then there's other factors too. But keep okay. going. Okay. So I'll keep going. So so in the scenario where the closing costs are twenty thousand in this example, and they pay, they don't pay the closing costs out of pocket. They just they immediately are carrying a balance in the loan, then that balance is, is immediately accruing by like in, in today's world, two and a half percent, right? Yep. So again, if we did some sort of a, so so in with those numbers, it takes a while, the break even would take a while from my perspective. However, the component that, in other words, you know, we're giving up 2000 bucks in a year in yield. We have, we immediately have a $20,000 upfront cost. So, but two, but two things to consider there. So very quickly you're like, oh, that's like 10 years to break even, that's a long time. But one thing we didn't, and again, I'm just doing this seat of my yeah. pants here. I wasn't prepared for this at all. But um, <laughs> even though I had like four hours this morning before the show, cause I was up so early. Um, but what we're not factoring in here is how much more tax efficient the reverse mortgage is. If I, if, in this example, if our 1.5 million is a retirement asset, right? And and if we're taking that 60,000 or $5,000 a month out, we're paying taxes on that. Whereas if we start drawing from the reverse mortgage, that all that comes back to you tax-free. You've already paid your taxes on the money that's inside, of, that's the equity Correct. of your home. Yeah. So that's, that's like, that's hard to directly yeah. compute. You know what I mean? But, but yeah. I think that that's, I actually think that that, shortens the break-even analysis. Yeah, um, I agree. Because, right? Yep. Am I thinking about that right? That yeah, I know your philosophy. Would... Yeah, you're right. right? Yep. I, I agree with you on that. Okay. There's a, and there's also the, you know, I they're also like the compounding, right? On that $2,000 a year that you're giving up in the portfolio. You know, true, it's, true, it's two, true. 2000 yeah. and then you're, yeah. and you're adding to that 2000 each year compounding. I mean. But the line, the other thing too, what? just to give you the number on the line of credit yeah. for a 750 valued home is 450. So okay. they would have about 450, someone that age, 65, 750, no mortgages. So they've opened up, it cost them 20 of the home's equity, not out of pocket, yeah. the home's equity, which is out of pocket. I yeah. get it. Now they have access to 450. And that's growing at 2.5% compounding. And if rates go up, that rate will go up and the growth rate will be higher because it's a okay. rate. So, so that's that's another component. Again, that's really hard to compute. This is why we yep. have people like Dr. Wade Fow, who who spent yeah. years on this analysis and lots yeah. of computers. Um, but yeah, but that's the component is that the, the amount you can borrow is growing, right? Whereas yeah, if you just waited to take the reverse mortgage, it doesn't necessarily grow by that much to your point. Right. Yeah. So, so the cost, the upfront cost of that reverse mortgage actually buys you an ability to borrow more should you need it. Yeah. Um, what it did is it just took is, their 1.5 million that they have. Yeah. And we've just magically added $450,000 more. Yes, it's equity. But yeah. from their perspective, if they go to get the money, it's cash in their checking account. Okay. So it feels the same whether they drew it from the portfolio, the 1.5. It just might be taxed there, but now we've just increased one five to one point nine five, just under two million worth of accessible cash overall. It just happens to be four fifty, and and that's growing at two and a half percent annually, and it won't stop growing if the home value plummets, and they can't be denied access to that. Um, like a home equity line, you can be de denied access to a home equity line if, if the bank's feeling leveraged and the markets crash. Okay. So setting those up was very cheap back then, but it came with, there was strings attached, accessibility to it. There's no way that this can be suspended or canceled or frozen. This 450 that you've set up for your clients mm -hmm. because they paid an insurance fee to gain, to be able to gain access to it. So the home value going down will never affect access to this line of credit and it's always growing. So there's two huge benefits there yeah. into their portfolio. So based on the, those quick numbers, so this will, the, the for a variety, for a couple of reasons actually, the more that someone is drawing from their portfolio in terms of a percentage of the portfolio, the better this reverse mortgage scenario will look because, right? So someone that's drawing 
six or seven percent, maybe they're older or maybe they just, you know, for whatever reason, have to draw a higher percentage out. If they're drawing six or seven percent out, then we would, you know, normally have more cash in the portfolio. So you're giving up more yield. So so really quickly, I did like six percent. So six percent of a million and a half is ninety thousand dollars. And we would carry probably what something like sixty five thousand Kirk on a, something like that yeah. on on that size of a draw, um, and five percent of sixty five thousand is thirty two fifty in terms of potentially you know lost earnings there. And so then you, the the break even is is becoming shorter yeah. in terms of you know when when do I when is it better for me to to pay the upfront costs of the reverse mortgage to have right. that available versus carrying this cash? And I guess that makes sense. You know, the other reason the reverse mortgage in that scenario would make sense is that depending on how old this person is, if they're drawing six, seven, eight percent from their portfolio, maybe they're in that camp where it's might maybe not projected to be sustainable for their lifetime. So that brings up the reverse mortgage discussion just for that reason as well. Yeah. Um, okay, I just I wanted to do that for myself just to kind of wrap yeah. my head around when, no, when you're right on track. You're, you're, you're right on track. There's nothing that I disagree with at all. Yeah. You know, what, one other thing is, you know, that, you know, and you touched on it, Alyssa and David about about the taxation. And, you know, so if, like if this client, if all of their money is in, you know, retirement accounts where any dollar they take out is taxable as income, depending if again, this this is on the scenario where they're taking more. Right. And they're potentially in a higher tax bracket if they can dip into this, you know, reverse mortgage pot of money where there's no taxes and if they can kind of keep their other, you know, their taxable income in a, you know, in a slightly lower bracket, you know, there's some, there's some added value there that it's hard, again, it's hard to quantify, but, um, but yeah, it's hard. And then like you just said, Kirk, if um, you guys, I'm sure you have clients where you're meeting with them now and you're, you're talking about, Hey, next year looks like a higher income tax bracket year due to their age and they have to take a certain amount of money from their, you know, portfolio. Well, you know, they're trying trying to figure out ways to mitigate that. And you could say, well, it looks like, you know, even if you're doing Roth conversions or something like that, you might be talking about those strategies, but this bucket of money over here now could be used to help cover those taxes in those high AGI years. So you could, that's another way to say, yeah, it looks like our tax burden is going to be six thousand dollars this year because our agi is going to be up here how are we going to pay for that well do we draw six thousand more from our portfolio or we say no let's let's keep the draw down and we'll take the six thousand from the line of credit and pay the taxes that way so there's so many different yeah. and that's a that's a weight file strategy yeah I, I just had some tax related thoughts as kirk started talking about um about taxes a moment ago. You brought it up, Kirk. You started talking about taxes. Um and got me it got the, the wheels turning. The other component is, you know, in our example where this person has the bulk of their assets in IRAs, 401ks, retirement assets, let's just go with the traditional kind that are that are taxable on the way out, not the Roth kind, which a large percentage of people have the vast majority of their assets in retirement accounts of that type or in equity in their home. Um so, if Alyssa, there was a Alyssa, we I, I mean I if you, uh, we have a caller if you don't oh I was if, just about if, to get started I know time. I know I, I could feel I could feel the steam and I was like Sorry, you know I took a risk to jump in front of the train there but um, yeah that's fine that's fine all right so we have uh, John in Marshfield John can you hear me yes I can thanks for taking my call appreciate it I had a um, a couple of observations about uh, reverse mortgages, and I'd be curious to hear what your guest says, because he sounds obviously like an expert. Um, one concern is that, you know, you talked about uh, drawing down the home equity, and obviously some ways to kind of arbitrage that with, you know, more profitable investments. But the home equity, to me, um, represents a sort of safety cushion in that portfolio that you guys mentioned. You know, if you have a $1.5 million and you have $700,000 of equity, like that, that to me is one of your best insurances against a stock market event. And the other question I have, which I think is a real serious issue, especially people in Massachusetts ignore, you, you talked about the fact that this protects your IRA balances, but if your concern is like an estate, which I've looked into, IRA balances are the ultimate nightmare in an estate. 
even more of a nightmare in Massachusetts. You guys know why. So my issue going into retirement is I want to find ways to aggressively draw down that IRA balance, which is going to reduce massively the tax bill that my kids will end up having to pay. So I want to know, like, and the other the third point I make is on a reverse mortgage, and I'd say this with a primary mortgage, a 3% mortgage is a great mortgage. Ironically, it's also a great mortgage to repay because that represents a 100% safety investment like treasuries, and you can't get 3%. So it's ironically both a great mortgage to keep and a great mortgage to repay. I'd, I'd like to know how you think those thoughts factor into your, your math. I, I, I was going to say before you called in, John, that I was going to touch on what you just said about how about trying to pay down, I'm sorry, spend down retirement accounts so that your kids are inheriting assets in a more tax efficient way. I think that's what you said, right? I, and, I actually, and, the fact that, and the fact that IRAs really cannot be protected. Well, okay. You can't put them in a trust. That's true. Very true. I was thinking in terms of like, you know, put there sometimes when we do planning we're planning for a person or a married couple and sometimes when we do planning we're planning for like the extended family unit factoring in kids right and so if we're thinking about you know tax efficient strategies for kids inheriting your assets i agree with you john that that you spending down your ira and letting them inherit equity in the home for example or other assets I agree, under current tax law, depending on your different tax brackets, that probably makes good sense. So I, I actually agree with you on that one, and that spending your home's equity, you know, if you're able to preserve one asset or the other and your kids are gonna inherit the other one, I think it does make sense for a lot of older, retired people to spend down their retirement balances and preserve, um, for example, the equity in your home. So I'm with you on that. It's interesting what you said, and then I'll stop talking and I'll let David answer because I know you called in for him. <laughs> but it's interesting what you said about um, that that the home is like an insurance against the stock market. And I know what you meant by that, that like you don't want to touch the equity in the home, but you know, what if things go, you know, AWOL in the markets and, and balances, you know, take a significant decline. It's actually, but that's actually what we're talking about too, in terms of some being able to use some of the equity in the home if the markets turn down and go AWOL, right? So that it's interesting. You're you're talking about it in a different way in terms of don't ever touch the home. I think that's what you sort of you were alluding to, and then let's spend down the retirement because we'll always have the value of the home, right? If the markets go, if, if the markets turn down significantly, but we're actually talking about using that the equity in the home here and there once in a while as an insurance against the markets going down. So just like a little bit of a different take on that, but sort of the same concept, All right? I'm gonna stop there, David, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, great, great questions. The CPA stuff and the tax stuff, I, I, I'm not gonna be any good on that stuff, but the philosophy behind preserving the home, I get that too, and I'm in agreement, but it's everybody's circumstances are different. And so my average age of my client is 70, but I have clients in their mid eighties. I have clients in their nineties. And um, it's sometimes they wanna remain in their house and it's an arduous task for them to be uprooted. So doing the reverse in their circumstances makes more sense to have as a safety strategy, as a, you know, an insurance to mitigate these things we we're talking about, use it for this and use it, use it responsibly, obviously. None of the strategies are to use it irresponsibly. So I, I agree with you circumstantially that if I met with a client and they were 62 and their, their circumstances were such that their income was fine, they had a, a, a decent portfolio, they're healthy, and they didn't have any, um, any issues that they saw coming towards them, like maybe the loss of a job, maybe someone was just diagnosed with cancer. So I agree with you, absolutely. In, in some cases, I've met with families and I've, I've told them that I don't think they need to do anything honestly, um, you know, and certainly a reverse probably wasn't in, in their cards. So it's, you know, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but it's, I, I don't disagree with you as far as using 
home equity, not not touching home equity, but it just what my strategy is, it just unlocks the ability to use it in case circumstances change. And then maybe others that come to me have an idea in mind to say, hey, um, I'm planning on retiring in five years and I'd like this thing to be a certain amount of money instead of waiting five years to take it out, it'll grow for five years. And at that, you know, whatever the case may be, there's so many variables to just broadly answer that, you know, the, the, the question. I don't disagree with you though, John. Definitely. Don't. Yeah, no, thank you. I, you know, I think that this is a really interesting tool, and you've pointed out some really good appealing aspects of it. My, my, my only point is there's a lot of ways in which this might not serve its purpose. And, you know, the, the one thing I thought about is I'm sure, Alyssa, when you deal with clients, you know, you take that $1.5 million portfolio and you, you invest it based on a risk profile with a certain exposure to risk assets and a certain amount to non-risk assets, safety assets. I think you got to be really careful about taking a big chunk out of that big, boring, safe, home equity and adding it on to the risk asset profile because that can change what you intended on doing in the first place it's just it's just buyer beware and be careful but it's a good tool yeah it's a good tool and like we're saying we're just earmarking money to be available it doesn't ever have to be accessed it's just available right. in case something comes up but no yeah, what but i'm curious john what do you mean by what do you mean by adding the equity in the home to the risk Okay, here's the thing, Alyssa. Let's say, you know, I have a $600,000 home that's paid off, and I used advantageous situation with the stock market decline to go ahead and buy S&P at, you know, a 30% discount. Well, that's all well and good, and that's probably a, probably a smart move, but all of a sudden, you've determined that my risk profile is X percent exposure to equity. Now, all of a sudden, it's, oh, about 40% more than that. Um, that it's not the same profile as when I talked to you with my paid off six hundred thousand dollars of home equity. I, I think I, I think maybe there's because um, we're not, we're not talking about taking the home equity and investing it. Um, is yeah, that, we can't do that. That's yeah. prohibited. Basically, we never we're never ever going to take home equity from someone's house, set up a reverse mortgage, and use that to invest as part of their portfolio. We're setting it up in case the existing portfolio balances go down to help mitigate those losses during that time. So it's just a safe- Then, then you're, doing that at, you're doing that in a zero interest rate environment, which to me makes no sense whatsoever. What do you mean? So zero, what do you mean zero interest rate on a mortgage? You're, 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 take, you're taking something that has to be compared in the risk-free comparison, like equal to treasuries, equal to prepaying your mortgage. Instead of prepaying your mortgage, you're taking, you're, you're taking money out. So the risk is 100% risk-free, which right now pays 0.001%. So you're going to put it in that, right? No, we're, we're not talking no. about... So in this strategy, first of all, we haven't done anything. We're just talking hypothetically about these things. But um, in this strategy where someone opens a reverse equity line of credit, they don't actually take anything out. You don't take the money out and like put it in cash. And you, don't, you certainly don't take it out and put it in an investment. We're just talking about having an ability to borrow under certain circumstances. For example, if there was a downturn in the markets of a certain percentage and there wasn't enough cash in the portfolio, potentially stopping the draw from the portfolio temporarily, taking a little bit out of the equity in the home so that you can give your portfolio time to recover. We're not talking about taking equity out and literally putting it in cash. No, that's certainly not what we would. Uh, then, then even more reason. Then even more reason why I think in most cases this doesn't make sense. I can achieve exactly what you talked about by picking up the phone at Bank of America, Eastern Bank, Citizens Bank, and for about forty nine dollars cost, get a quarter million dollars handed to me that way with a home equity line of credit. Right. Yeah, right. Well, that, that depends, though. That depends because at the time you do that, you might not have an income. That yeah, you, that's true. You know, it, yeah. when you when you take out regular mortgages, John, it's always based on your ability to repay, not how much you have in retirement. So you true. could have two million dollars in retirement savings, but have uh, an income, mm -hmm. a job loss. And I have many people that come to me and say, "Oh, I tried to get one, but the line of credit they were going to give me was only fifty grand because of my income." So a reverse mortgage is not contingent upon your income or ability to repay because there's no monthly payment. Okay. Uh, 
obligation. So this is just based on home value in age, calculates a percentage of that based on your age. The older you are, the more you can get. So, yeah. and you get a lot more as an older person, 70, 75, 85 years old, those people are on fixed incomes that have been in retirement mm -hmm. for 15 or 20 years. So them going down to get a home equity line uh, usually isn't gonna do what you just did and go get 250. Someone who's in their 40s or 50s, yeah, but you can't get a reverse mortgage unless you're 62 at minimum. But mm -hmm. average age is people in their 70s and they don't usually have you know, the ability to repay on that calculation for traditional home equity lines to satisfy that. Plus, it expires in 10 years. So if they use the balance, then they can't requalify to do that line of credit over. Now they're subject to a 20-year term of principal and interest and the payment triples. And um, I've had many people come to me in that regard as well. So, well, but you know, what? I'm actually, John, I'm, I'm glad you called. We, we do have to wrap it up, John, because the show is ending. I'm glad you called. And I think this is a good example of where like where financially i do think what david and kirk and i have been talking about in terms of having this avail you know ability to borrow against a reverse i think financially in many ways it it could make sense or like hypothetically it can make sense in many ways but john's point is 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 proof that the vast majority of people would be much more comfortable with like like the traditional oh i'll just borrow from my equity line that's just like people have a certain comfort level with that versus the reverse mortgage product but i'm glad you called john because i think that like you know sometimes we talk about what may, might make sense financially and the numbers and all that and the analysis is kind of fun but then there's the reality of what are people comfortable with and and yeah. i think john's point is really good because th Absolutely. there's there's it's hard for people to kind of to 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 get over that or something like that so john yeah. I, I really appreciate the call i wish we had more time to, to chat with you about it have a, have a great you. one very, very educational yeah, Thank have a good one. All right, bye-bye. I'm, I'm glad that that was a good call to wrap up the show because my point was going to be that this is all well and good financially and all the numbers. And I and I think that, but the reality of it is I think it just takes people a little bit longer to get there. Well, we got to go. Early about just being, getting educated on it, period. That's it. It might all not right, be so right cool for you. It's how you feel about it. We got to wrap it up. That's David Tortelot, Homestead Mortgages. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We got to go, everyone. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Happy Mother's Day to all. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Thank